I am one of your hosts, Mike, and tonight I'm joined by, of course, Chris. Hello. And the indestructible Sand Chigger. Evening, everyone. Hey. <laughs> that didn't sound very indestructible, but uh, you're a humble man, aren't you? I am what I am. Gotcha. It's only you're only indestructible when you get angry or something, right? Yes, exactly. It's uh, it's rage based uh, indestructibility. Oh, sweet dude, sweet. Yeah, so uh, what's been going on with everyone? My gaming this... M- it's been a month, hasn't it, since last we last recorded? Uh, I think so. Um, yep. painting, more scener- painting scenery. So I've been making dirt cheap rivers and swamps and stuff for uh, War Machine Hordes. Finished running uh, Witchfire Trilogy Part 1. That ended really well. Um... And what else gaming-wise? Finished reading uh, Iron Kingdoms in Thunderforged and started reading uh, Guild Halls of the Deathless for Mummy the Curse and uh, the Strix Chronicle Anthology. I've read the first two short stories in there, uh, one of them by Chuck Windick, and it's awesome. It really is uh, a good story i mean all of it really gets you into the uh the setting and it you can tell when they're referring to different groups of vampires or like how they're they're viewing how the strix work and it really gives some ideas on how you can inject uh the paranoia into um into requiem so yeah cool mm-hmm. stuff definitely good uh chuck windig that's not a guy we've uh heard from in quite some time i guess he's uh yeah, too busy yeah. being a Real novelist and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got a couple of series out. Yeah, I do need to get hold of his stuff though. Um, yeah, um, what's the first one? It's um, Mockingbird. Yeah, uh, Blackbirds. Blackbirds. Yeah. Yeah. I tried to look for it in the store. They didn't have it, so I was just like, eh, whatever. And I am with that. We're very close to getting stuff all sorted out for doing this World of Darkness God Machine Chronicles rules uh, one shot with yourself, Mike, James, and Sam. So um, oh, that's right. Yeah, we're gonna make it a uh, segment in the yes. Forgotten Lore. Uh, so and obviously everything's together for the next one. It just needs editing and putting together, so I'm working on that, and so Sam. So we'll get there. Anything else, guys, gaming-wise? What have you been up to? Uh, you know, Shadowrun, that kind of stuff. Um, I did read a small RPG supplement, um, Racial Insecurities the Fetch for Cthulhu Tech. And that. that's a, uh, it's a very small like player option supplement, basically, where they kind of give you the option to play these uh, little dudes called the, the Fetch, which are... Um, kind of like familiars and sorceress assistants but uh they're also somewhat mischievous i don't think they fit into many uh cthulhu type games as a as a player option and uh unfortunately the supplement was kind of expensive it's only only has six pages of real content and it costs three dollars for the pdf so i wasn't too impressed by that but uh 
yeah, uh, it was kind of interesting, I guess. Uh, I might actually end up running Cthulhu Tech in the future, so we'll see what happens with that. But I'm thinking about using a lot more mecha and possibly converting it to Fate. It's a good plan. We uh, convinced yeah. our our GM to convert the Earth Dawn campaign that we were playing in from fourth edition to Fate, and we've had one session so far. You know, people people busy and having to go out of town and family stuff, so we only had time for one fate dawn session but it was pretty fun did you have like three times more story we kind of did yeah there was uh (laughs) there was there was combat but it was taken care of in about 10 minutes as opposed to two hours as it was in fourth edition so i recommend it yeah fate is a pretty good system but you know, uh, Jake, you and I have had this discussion before that while it is really awesome for story gaming, you know, the World of Darkness system isn't that bad, and it doesn't make too much sense to try to convert World of Darkness to Fate, uh, oh, especially no, given no, the new no. God Machine rules for New World of Darkness. Sure, they've already uh, plundered Fate for all of its useful bits. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Pretty much. Very good. All right, so tonight uh, we're going to be discussing a little bit of uh, Changeling the Dreaming, and then we're going to be doing a secret frequency on the Deogen, and then finally, we're going to be talking about Vampire the Requiem in the Dark Ages. So, with that, let's move on over to the news segment. Uh, okay, so news. Um, well, one unfortunate thing that came out uh, about two weeks ago is that uh, unfortunately, Vitesse, Vampire of the Eternal Struggle, is not going to be coming back through drive through cards. Uh, there was some excitement that perhaps a print-on-demand option may be available for that card game. Um, but all the different parties were not able to come to an agreement, and it's uh, back where it was. So, uh, Vikan, the uh, basically Vitesse player organization, uh, is going to keep producing their own fan sets and uh, make them available through PDF. So, uh, you can get new cards that way. And they've actually just started releasing some uh, promos of the new cards, and they look phenomenal. They look just as good as the, uh, uh, you know, professionally done White Wolf cards. So that's mm. very good to hear. And the other good Vitesse news is actually that the Gentleman Gamer has started up his own uh, kind of Vitesse club online, and uh, people primarily use uh, Lackey CCG. Um, I'm in both the uh, the club itself and uh, their new Vitesse league, so that's just going to be pretty interesting to play, and uh, especially because you have to start off with a starter deck, which are all universally pretty awful, and uh, kind of build up your deck from there. So, should be pretty cool. That sounds pretty wicked. Yeah, it's a shame it can't get fun. released through dry through uh, cards, but hopefully they can figure out something in future. Um, cool. Um, what else have we got for news? We've had a few releases. Um, Guildhall of the Deathless uh, for Mummy the Curse. What else has been released recently? Um... Mummy the Curse came out. Like the oh, physical well. book actually arrived. At least for at least for me. Well, for you, yeah. I'm still waiting. I'm hoping it might turn up this week. What other books are out? I think that's uh... pretty much it for uh, actual books. Uh, additionally, there's some MMO news flying around. Uh, at the LA by Night LARP convention, uh, Mr. Webb, Mr. Eddie Webb, Mr. White Wolf himself did a quick. Uh, discussion and Q&A about the MMO and dropped a couple things and there's been some um, I don't want to say miscommunication but misinterpretation of what he said uh, some people have been claiming that uh, you know 
with the uh, with the new business manager that came on board, they actually trashed the entire MMO and are starting from scratch. And that does not seem to be the case. Eddie indicates that uh, essentially what's going on is they have a company retreat coming up uh, for the, the Atlanta folks, and they're going to be talking about what they can do with the game, uh, especially how they might break up the uh, sandbox theme park and cafe features into uh, separate but interconnected games, similar to how Eve has um, Eve, the dust first-person shooter, and the new Valkyrie uh, kind of space simulator. Mm. So uh, that could be interesting, uh, but really no definites right now. But there's actually some really cool news that also came out of this, and that's the fact that uh, at launch, they now expect that there is going to be a Mac OS X version of the WAD MMO. And being a Mac user myself and a Mac gamer... I'm pretty excited, and I've actually uh, previously raged a whole lot on the uh, Midnight Radio podcast, uh, vidcast, uh, mm-hmm. because there was no Mac version, so I'm pretty happy with this uh, current change. Cool. Yeah, that all sounds pretty great. Um, yeah, I've not, I know very little about the Valkyrie thing. I'm not too sure how that would work for uh, for the WAD MMO doing equivalent, but yeah, Sandbox Theme Park and cafe right well so basically you know the sandbox is the um typical typical well it's gonna be well i think it's more the political activities of uh the different players battling uh to control the city or specific resources theme park strikes me as you know well in uh and in world of warcraft for example it's the quests but in the uh world of darkness mmo it could be easily a single player game um you don't think that'll be something like elysium theme park no i, I that's just the, go to hang out no that's that's the, that's the cafe. cafe that's the cafe uh, uh theme park is more you know pve kind of interacting with the world itself uh which would be quests similar to those and missions you'd find in uh say vampire the masquerade bloodlines that video game or secret world it'll be secret a lot world, yes <laughs> secret world is because that's still going I mean, I uninstalled it on my computer just to make some space, but that's still going really strong, and is constantly having things out for it. So, it's a good that's model good. to what it what what MMO could be like in some elements. Yeah, it's going to be uh, pretty interesting to talk about. And uh, Chris, we might have a might have a guest that could come on and uh, talk about this a little bit, right? Yes, we have reached out. There are a few people we can get to talk about this, uh, about MMO stuff, because, of course, James, who's been on numerous times, he worked, he's worked on MMOs, and you know he's actually in the computer game industry, so he's in a position to talk about this type of stuff. And uh, Michelle Flam, is that right, last name? She can correct me. Yeah. Um, she's worked on various MMO type stuff and has been on the Wadcast previously so it'd be cool to have her and James on here because you know we just have to sit back and listen to those two talk business and you know it fills up an hour <laughs> <laughs> yep pretty much cool and what do we have in the mailbag actually um I for example was recently challenged to uh run a uh, run a world of darkness game combining elements of Shadowrun, Demon the Descent, and Mirror's Bleeding Edge, which is the kind of uh, cyberpunk rules and, and setting for the World of Darkness. And uh, I gotta say, challenge accepted. I have to defend the honor of the podcast, and uh, after my failure to <laughs> uh, run Changeling the Dreaming... Yeah, I think there was only uh, only one challenge that was not uh, not accepted. Well, I accepted it, and then ah. rescinded my acceptance. 
Yeah. <laughs> Whatever you got to tell yourself, Mike. Maybe one day. Yes, so it's not only for the honor of the podcast, but it's also to redeem myself. So uh, you can expect uh, probably a Google event coming out uh, sometime in November to run that game. Mm-hmm. Cool. No, that'd be wicked. Yeah. Uh, additionally, Eileen uh, sent us some cool information on a lake in Tanzania in Africa. What happens with this lake is, uh, for some reason, it seems to be because of calcification due to the, uh, mm-hmm. the very basic nature um, as opposed to acidity of the lake, uh, lots of small animals are actually turned or calcified into stone or something similar to a hard material. And yeah, they just kind of sit there and float around. It's pretty creepy. And there's a very strange picture of a calcified bat, uh, on the website. <laughs> so we'll link that in the show notes. Pretty cool stuff. And I think it actually gives us some good ideas for maybe a, uh, river of death in, uh, the underworld for the new world of darkness. Oh yeah. It would be really good for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean this, um, this actual story has been doing the rounds everywhere on the internet. So it's, um, but it's pretty cool. Cause obviously, um, I think Eileen suggested it'd be really cool also in relation to Promethean. And the idea of these creatures possibly being animated because they are uh, the source of um, some form of Pandoran or um, what's the other thing? Maybe they could be used by mummies, you know, to make uh, um, what's the the hell is the name? Ankhata something? Uh, Whatever the hell the term is, you know, the the um, chimerans they they make. Anyway, cool. Um, Also. Geeks Out After Dark, which is a RPG podcast, gave us a shout out because this month they are looking at horror RPGs in general. So, um, you know, people should go listen to them because uh, they'll be going through all of the horror RPGs. They've uh, recently done a show that looks at kind of like the history of horror RPGs going all the way from, you know, the original Call of Cthulhu all the way up to, you know, current world of darkness and everything else um most of the updates you'll either find on their own website or on uh, tumblr as well um so yes thank you for the shout out um is that all for news yeah i think it is unless i completely missed something i think it was just a slow news week slow news month where is my demon the descent (laughs) where's my mage 20th anniversary edition (laughs) <laughs> yes it's all right i'm not gonna get angry i'll stay cool the werewolf books that we're doing may are almost done that's that's like news you're still bitter about this <laughs> <laughs> a little perhaps <laughs> all right that's fair enough and uh i think with that let's move on over to the classic world of darkness classic world of darkness uh, hey, Chig. Yeah, Mike. Hey. Um, <laughs> so remember that time I was supposed to run Changeling the Dreaming because he challenged me to? I vaguely recall <laughs> something like that happening, yeah. Yeah, and then I couldn't, I just couldn't do it, man. Yeah, you, I just you couldn't perform. wrap your head around it, maybe, or I don't know. Understand. I don't know. It just didn't, I, just, didn't, I wasn't getting any good flip. ideas. I wasn't getting any good ideas. It's a complex game, I understand. It is a very complex game. So maybe with your your gnosis, your secret knowledge, you can explain this mythical world of the dreaming to us. Well, I, I, I can do my best. It is my uh, my favorite of the old World of Darkness games. 
Indeed, sir. Indeed. So where do you think we should start? Where's a good place to start as we unfold <sighs> the myth of Changeling? Well, let's mm. begin with what is Changeling? It, it's it's the uh, the yeah. fifth and final World of Darkness game until Hunter the Reckoning came out about five years afterwards. Uh, it's uh, a story of a group of spirits uh, forever exiled from their paradisical homeland, struggling to fit into a world that is toxic, hateful, and destructive to their very nature. It's a story game about balancing limitless, chaotic creativity and unbridled imagination with solid responsibility, practicality, and the stifling nature of the mundane world. It is, at its heart, a game about games. Hmm. Whoa. I would say from that description, to me, it's almost the other side of the mirror to uh, what Changeling the Lost is about. Because obviously that's about escaping the chaotic world where you have all this creativity and returning to a mundane life. Whereas obviously Changeling the Dreaming is about, you know, you're kind of, is the other side of that. So that's a good place to start. Um, and for comparative purposes for people that are maybe more aware of the one than the other. Okay, cool. So you are basically playing these, you're, you're playing um, people who are embodied by these face spirits. Kind of. Um, a changeling, like all of the other old world of darkness splats, is a human with something else stapled on or built into their soul. Uh, in the old world of darkness, a regular human has an unawakened avatar. A mage has an awakened avatar. Uh, a vampire, when they're embraced, has their avatar is destroyed and it's replaced with a beast. A uh, werewolf is a uh, person who doesn't have a regular avatar. Instead, they have a piece of the uh, greater werewolf spirits. Uh, a changeling soul is, oh, and um, wraiths have their, uh, are just a soul whose avatar has gone on back into the reincarnation pool and has been replaced with a specter. Mm -hmm. Now, a changeling soul is merged from before birth with an immortal spirit of creativity, uh, which they call glamour, and for lack of a better term, dreams. It's, well, it's just basic creativity. It's, uh, it's the drive to move forward. Um, in the ancient past and the long, long ago and the before times, uh, before humanity's beliefs became so rigid and unbelieving of magic, these space spirits were able to exist in our world all by themselves, just out in the, the hidden glens and the, the freeholds. Uh, but as humanity became more and more rigid and banal in its beliefs, the world became a colder and deadlier place for the space spirits. Uh, finally, when they could no longer stand existing in our world, they created the Changeling Way ritual, merging their immortal essence with a mortal soul and entering the reincarnation cycle, uh, attaching themselves to soul after soul down through the ages. That's how Changelings were created. Uh, not all of their kind uh, wanted to go along with this. Uh, in fact, they're the leaders, uh, Akith, which is a, a subsplat, basically, of the, of the uh, Fae known as the She, uh, took their retainers and loyal followers back to their homeland known as the dreaming in search of a, a better way to survive or depending on which side you listen to running away from uh the hardship 
uh, when banality, the uh, cold, hard disbelief, became strong enough in our world, which we refer to as they refer to as the autumn world, uh, the dreaming was cut off. Uh, the the leaders of the Fey, the She, uh, were not able to return. Uh, they abandoned their subjects, the commoners, alone and without direction on Earth. Uh, for 600 years, the common kiths uh, struggled to survive here in the autumn world. Uh, there are tons and tons of changeling kiths and splats and this and that and the other, but in the core book, uh, including the previously men mentioned she, uh, there are nine. Uh, the Boggins, who are industrious craftsmen, spirits of hearth and home, they're kind of like hobbits. Uh, they're my personal favorite kith. Uh, the Ishu, or Eshu, depending on how, who's pronouncing it, are spirits of travel and adventure, exotic places, and uh, foreign peoples. Uh, the Knockers, who are like dwarves and gremlins, are tinkers, uh, who are dreams of industry and creation, uh, though their creations are never quite good enough for them. Uh, the Puka, who are animal men, uh, tricksters, liars, dreams of freedom, nature, and uh, a more simpler, wilder existence. Uh, there are the red caps, who are dreams of hunger, uh, desperation, the cold of winter, and monsters. Uh, there are satyrs, uh, who are dreams of love and revelry and passion. Uh, there are the slua, who are the secret keepers, uh, the dreams of scary things whispering to you in the darkness from under your bed. There are the trolls, who are titans, giants, dreams of honor and combat, defense. And for 600 years, they were left alone here on, uh, on Earth, uh, reincarnating from body to body, making their way as best they could without leadership or really any form of uh, overlying structure. Uh, but then, in 1969, when man landed on the moon, uh, for a brief moment, all of humanity was united in one act of creativity and imagination, getting humans off of our planet and onto another uh, celestial body. That huge surge of creativity and hope and imagination uh, created what is known as the resurgence, which is when the gates to the dreaming reopened all of a sudden and the she returned. Uh, when <laughs> they returned, they assumed that they'd be welcomed as returning heroes and uh, put back on their thrones in charge of everything, just like they had when they left. Because, you know, for... In faith, they're immortal. They sit, what six hundred years to someone who lives forever? But uh, the changelings had lived lives. They'd lived thirty generations, li growing old, dying, forgetting themselves, being born again. Uh, they did. The vast majority did not welcome the return of the she. Uh, uh, the commoners uh, had moved on. They'd uh, moved beyond the. Uh, system of governance. Uh, they were no longer feudal indi individuals, a uh, feudal society. They didn't want uh, a king and a queen, but uh, she had, had other ideas, and uh, 
Thus began the Accordance War, a long, bloody, horrific conflict between the Shi and their retainers, who went with them to the Dreaming, and the commoners who stayed here on Earth. After vicious, horrible battles where blood was spilled on both sides, eventually an uneasy peace was reached. Uh, the Shi took their place as the Dreaming, I'm sorry, as the Dreaming decreed at the head of society again, but the Parliament of Dreams was created, thus giving commoners a seat at the, uh, at the table for the first time. Wow, okay, that's, that's a lot to take in, yeah. Uh, it is indeed. Now, Chig, the, the whole Accordance War kind of does sound strange. It seems like it's a bit off, especially how it was fought with the uh, uh, kind of regression in uh, tactics going back to almost like feudal style of fighting. But it also kind of makes sense given the uh, mechanics of the different domains and really what the uh, the Shi represent, which is uh, the dreams of nobility and, and that sort of thing. Yes, the Shi, the Shi are the dreams of nobility and leadership. They are meant to lead. It's They, they truly have a divine right, which uh, doesn't exist in the real world, but in the magical world of darkness, they really are supposed to be in charge. Uh, they have powers and abilities that let them uh, set rules and set uh, regulations, and they use these to uh, enforce the rules of honorable combat uh, on the commoners. They were the commoners would have been happy to uh, you know strike them from the shadows and then run back away, but that's just not how you do it when you're fighting a medieval war. Right. They could even have like a pitched battle on a. Uh just like an open field or something, but no regular mortals will even see it. They'll be turned away and, and the like, um, which is all pretty funky, isn't it? No, it's not funky. It's magic. That's how magic works. <laughs> <laughs> good point. Good point. But now I'm just trying to uh, kind of illustrate that uh, there really needs to be kind of a different way of thinking with the with changing the dreaming. Um, there's a lot of additional rules that come out of the uh, the way that their magic works with the arts and the domains and how, you know, you won't think of the same um, sort of monkey-wrenching wars of the, uh, uh, that you see in Werewolf or the strange cosmic wars of Mage the Ascension. No, they're, they're, they're much more, surprisingly, uh, for the, uh, the magical creatures that they are, they're much more down-to-earth in their, their fights. They get right out there in the streets and they just beat each other to death with sticks and swords. Given the setting, and given you have these conflicts, what would you say is the kind of the default type of game you can expect from Changeling? It depends entirely on your players. You can have a political game, like you do in Vampire, between the the courts and the courtiers. Uh, you can have a uh, fight, uh, a combative game, like uh, Werewolf the Apocalypse. Uh, you can have deep meaningful metaphysical conversations about what is creativity and and what is uh, uh banality uh just as if you're playing a mage the ascension game uh you can be as dark and and quixotic as a uh, wraith the oblivion it it all depends on what kind of game you want to play oh, what kind of oh, games obviously do you play. but i i mean i i always think that even if because all the games ultimately any any role play game you know you can play in any way you want i mean you can have as much combat or as much politics or as much metaphysics or exploration or it can be more mundane or more magical you can 
you stay in the real world or you can uh, like in werewolf or mage you can you know go into the deep umbra and what i'm getting at is what you think is the core gameplay experience that changing offers that perhaps the other ones don't because if you look at mage the ascension it it really is i mean the core thing is about the ascension war if you go back to the original versions of it or or even even the later ones like revised you're still you still got the the burning embers of the ascension war so all those things about the politics and about the exploration and about the metaphysics is all hinged upon on those things offering something to the cabal of mages to engage in the ascension war against the technocracy and the nefandi and if you look at vampire all those things about where they come from and who they are in their clan and the politics and their antagonistic battles against you know the anarchs and against the uh, against the sabbat is all hinges upon the fact that the, those are the final nights to to make a difference before gehenna comes and you don't know when gehenna is and it's this kind of millennial fever so uh, you know, what do you think is the core kind of experience then of 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 changeling then in in that sense? What is the main story that is that you really, with all the politics, with all the magical stuff, that it really would allow you to tell well compared Gosh. to the others? The the core concern for changeling is that uh, winter is coming. Uh, mm-hmm. Winter is a time when humanity no longer feels a creative spark. They just exist from day to day. They go on. They no longer dream. They no longer have hopes and goals and things that they strive toward. It's the death of creativity. It is the the, the technocracy's big win, basically. Uh, when that happens, uh, changelings will have died out. They will have lost their fight. They will no longer have anybody else left to inspire, no one from whom to uh, draw glamour. And uh, winter will have uh, fallen across the land and killed all hope but then what does that mean then uh, for a, a typical game then does that mean you know what are what would you say then how does that translate into uh, a plot and the goals of a uh, of a, a, a um what the hell's the term is it still a motley of changelings yes it's still a motley. Yeah. okay so uh, yeah how does you... it translate into that you can try to uh save up as much glamour as you can get your hands on which mm-hmm. is what uh, one of the factions is trying to do uh, secretly they're they're just shoving people who are uh, glamour fountains and production uh, assembly line people basically into the dreaming and so that when winter comes they can hide out uh, you can uh, try to fight it you can mm-hmm. try to uh, hold back the tide basically and uh, bring magic back into the world like okay. in uh, like in mage so yeah so it, so it reflects kind of mage so so hold on let's get this right then so obviously you've got the changelings and you've got their conflict against the she and their you know it's about there's an element of a, a, a war of of freedom versus divine right to control mm-hmm. so how does that how is that affected by the the idea that winter is coming i mean is is the the she's need to control the changelings driven by the fact they need to get all this glamour before before the end time? 
Uh, well, there are two courts of changeling, the Seelie and the Unseelie, which is more like, uh, uh, which uh, is uh, summer and winter. Uh, it's more law and chaos than mm-hmm. good and evil. Um, the Seelie are supposedly the, the quote-unquote good guys. Uh, they are there to save the day and bring uh, hope and honor and all that fun jazz back into reality. Uh, the Unseelie uh, are the ones who are just socking it away for a cold, rainy day. Uh, it, there's a, another another conflict along those lines. <laughs> okay. And then a lot of moving parts. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's one of the things. I mean, this this is, uh, I mean, this is why you get in all these chronicle books as well as yeah, for the for the uh, new is Obviously, is trying to see when you're unfamiliar with a game or you're new to it, or you, you you never really quite got it. Is is for other people to try and like deliver what is that core experience? Because I think. This is one of the things, you know, obviously with vampires, very, everyone kind of understands what a vampire game, well, I say everyone should, but a vampire game in my mind should kind of reflect. And to me, you know, the source of inspiration for that, obviously, you know, obviously the work of Anne Rice, obviously uh, things like Being Human, uh, the UK series anyway, um, for how vampire society works and why they do things and kind of the war, the antagonism between vampires. I think maybe, uh, I think maybe one of the issues with changing is that, is that maybe more or less not obvious or maybe is it too black and white in its, in the conflicts there and it doesn't offer to people what they want. I mean, I don't know. I'm just trying to tease out what, what really the main stories are that you can tell them the thing it delivers really well and then where you can get the the variety of that uh, on that idea and expand beyond it beyond that okay just as glamour and creativity and hope and inspiration are are leaving humanity as a whole and they're being replaced with uh, mundanity and boring banality uh, a changeling, each individual, has to find a way to maintain that balance within themselves. They don't want to go too crazy creative or they will lose touch with reality. They don't want to go too boring and mundane or they will lose their changeling soul. It's a game about finding balance mm-hmm. at its heart. Okay. So I'm just going to draw some more parallels that compares quite well with a lot of things obviously in Change and Loss and I think in some respects compares quite well to things in Werewolf the Forsaken as well with the idea of balance especially because harmony is like a a main thing in that game okay cool Um, Mike any more (laughs) comments then? Or additions to my thoughts there? Yeah, well, I think to kind of tease out the uh, sort of default setting, it might be good to look at the political structure, because, for example, in Vampire, that's pretty critical, because, uh, you know, typically your default Vampire game is in the Camarilla, uh, dealing with the Prince of the Primogen and other politics of the city, and possibly with the uh, antagonistic nature of the uh, of the Sabbat. So what's, how, how does the political structure of, uh, of Changeling work on maybe a city level or a regional level? 
the Xi, since they came back, have uh, set up a series of, of uh, royal courts. Uh, there is a high king who rules all the changelings. Uh, there are lower kings and queens, dukes and duchesses, and uh, barons and baronets, and so on and so forth. Uh, in the city level, you will have uh, what are known as freeholds, which are uh, natural fonts of creativity in the world. Uh, they're equivalent to a node in Mage or a, uh, what are they called, a cairn in Werewolf. Just places where uh, glamour flows freely into the world. And uh, generally speaking, uh, the she control most of those, if not all. Uh, if you want access, you have to uh, play the game and be part of their court. Uh, they will set up knights and barons and this and that and the other to control their lands and control creativity and control access to uh, glamour. Hmm. Uh, the the uh, commoners will do their best to gain access to uh, whatever free sources they have and uh, try to uh, play the game. Indeed, I gotcha. And uh, Glamour itself um, can be harvested in a couple ways, right? Which are pretty critical for the, uh, the change of the game itself. You know, you can kind of uh, almost mooch off of... Uh, creative people but you can also um what's the term reap it from uh from an individual uh, yeah. there are two main ways that one can get glamour uh one is uh the the seely way where you go and you inspire others to creativity and by that inspiration uh you get a little bit off the side uh Another way is the more unseely way where you just go out and find somebody who is thinking creative thoughts and you basically rip the glamour from their body and you leave them kind of broken and not super happy. Mm. So really that sort of, uh, that conflict right there between the uh, more or less seely method and the unseely method are uh, pretty much an instant source of conflict in the game uh, and it could be pretty important for uh for playing things out at least for uh short-term issues and short-term conflicts cool um yeah i think that's that's kind of a good uh you know basic discussion of uh of changeling uh i have one last point i was gonna ask sure. um what would you say then is i mean because i think this is this often comes up with say when you look at say uh mage in particular because I think mage is also in danger. Can be in, a game of mage can be in danger of going off in a direction where it loses a sense of a particular thing, and that is horror. Because where would you say then within changing the dreaming is the horror? What is the where? How does horror manifest from this this setting and these the concepts that you've you know, you've explained and the the um, and the conflicts that are inherent within the setting. Uh, I'm glad you asked, um, because a lot of people ask that question. And uh, my answer is that at the very core of Changeling, it's a game about people who struggle every minute of every day uh, to try to exist in a world which does not understand them, which rejects them, 
which would destroy them and that which makes who makes them who they are just by their very existence. It's a game about being who you are and trying every every second of every day not to forget who you are. Because hmm. as soon as you start forgetting, it's a very slippery slope. That, again, is kind of in some respects the polar opposite of the game that Changeling the Lost is. Because Changeling the Lost is about recovering your mundane life. Well, there is the chance to do that. And the innate horror within the setting is um, the fact that you know, there are things that want to steal you back and there is the fact that the, your experiences in this other world, Arcadia, can can come back to haunt you and is this twisted kind of experience where you know, certain things are true and th- certain things are not, and uh, almost a level of losing your mind because clarity is this big thing that, you know, changelings can slowly go, you know, mad and they lose uh, a grasp on what is the real world and what is the dream world and what is Arcadia. So in changing the dreaming, the horror then is is the losing a sense of who you are and and then whatever and that's you know that's her, that i can i can get a sense of and that's that's quite interesting but then is there also a horror element of things being completely chaotic you know un, unfettered un, un, unleashed you know power of creativity in the sense that you know all the Goblins and ghouls and chimeras and and the Jabberwocky sure. are unleashed and you know it's these uh, these fantastical uh, horror elements because I think that's one of the interesting things in in Lost I like is that is and I think in in Dreaming again you can draw upon that is is where you know kind of the classic Brothers Grimm and old folklore is real. But in a very visceral sense, you know, the gingerbread house is real, but it's got teeth and it's one to lure you in and eat you. And in a sense, I, I, I imagine in changing the dreaming, that could be a case of of a changeling's creativity gone wrong and yes, you gone can, out of you control. Can go, you can go too far in either direction. Yeah. You can forget your, your mortal life just as easily as you can forget your immortal life. And... Either way is not a good way to go. Okay. Mike, any other points on the horror side of things? Because I think that's always... I think the important thing is finding the horror in the game. Because I think it's too easy to get lost in all the other stuff. Like, Mage is really easy to go off on. Like, you know, you're just travelling the moons of... of uh, some stupid planet and you're on some boat that does it and, you know, then there's off the port bow, there's you know, uh, Void Engineers spaceship, and you're just like, what the hell is this game? Where's the horror? Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> uh, not so much on horror, but I think one of the important things to bring up about changing is that uh, while the, the original core book and the, the base setting had this kind of um, Celtic mythology to it, with mm. the uh, the she and uh, the different types of fairies and the very uh, Western feudal style, the rest of the game does introduce many other types of uh, fairies uh, from a lot of different cultures, doesn't it, Chig? Oh yeah, yeah. Like I said earlier, it uh, it begins with nine and quickly spirals into the the fifties and sixties, different uh, different kinds of fae. 
So that's, uh, I think it's a very good introduction to Changing the Lost, or Changing the Dreaming, that we didn't really have in our uh, uh, previous uh, uh, rapid fire uh, way back when, in uh, episode number 22. So mm-hmm. I think that should be uh, quite sufficient for now. All right. And with that, let's move on over to the secret frequency. It's under the stairs. Deogen, known in English as The Eyes, has haunted the Sonian Forest in Belgium for nearly 80 years. This entity's origin lies in the death of children and an urban legend presented in the 1937 Dutch text, The Children of the Haunted Forest. In the early 20th century, local nuns began finding the burnt bodies of children throughout the forest. Although numerous bodies were found, little documentation from the investigation remains. There's even disputes over the the number of bodies that were found, some saying 8 were found, and others claiming 80. Whatever the case, it is said that the children were murdered and set ablaze one at a time, before the murderer finally committed suicide in the Sonian forest. At least one child escaped and uh, told the tale, uh, his account being contained in the Children of the Haunted Forest book. In the years after this terrible event, a sickly green fog was often sighted in the forest. While this uh, normally wouldn't have seemed strange, uh, it could just be swamp gas or something like that, the fact that the fog was uh, followed by small black silhouettes gave campers and drivers a pause. Some early accounts even described the fog as orange or white, dancing slothfully through the forest, being followed by the laughter of children. For most witnesses or passers-by, Deogen uh, isn't particularly dangerous. Car drivers have seen shadowy figures dart across the street. A few overnighters have reported reported, um, bloody handprints left on their car, but no murders are reported. Only a few have been brave enough to face the green fog as it approaches, and each has noticed a sensation that something very large was staring at them from within the fog. Now, normally, Deogen would not stand out amongst uh, the long list of paranormal ghost phenomenon, except that it hasn't been sighted in nearly 30 years. Typically, these sorts of urban legends have the occasional sighting or recording, uh, particularly something as massive as the eyes. But no passerby, no ghost hunter, no one's seen it. So we have to wonder, what's changed? Has the environment changed? Uh, Perhaps the people? What if the ghost itself has crept back into the forest, remaining in solitude? In the world of darkness, Deogen has a number of interesting storytelling possibilities and opportunities for imagery. Uh, So in Vampire, perhaps it's uh, the Gangrel Primogen uh, for your city. Uh, You can use this kind of imagery to represent him. Uh, Maybe he spends much of his time roaming the forest in mist form with a small retinue of ghouled animals following behind. Another interesting clue I found uh, related to Deogen uh, was actually on Google Translate, of all things. So I was typing in Deogen and I hit auto-detect because I couldn't remember uh, exactly what language it was in, whether it be French or uh, otherwise. And Google translated it into Danish as opposed to the true Dutch. Uh, the Danish translation to English actually came up as the Anda, which intriguingly enough is a gangrel bloodline uh, presented amongst the Mongol horde. Dark Ages Vampire. 
So, what could a Central Asian bloodline, supposedly exterminated in the 14th century, have to do with a 20th century ghost? Daojin also provides some interesting ideas for Promethean the Created. Um, perhaps this is an isolated Frankenstein who is hunted throughout the forest by a pack of small, childlike Pandorans that he created. Only by climbing trees or hiding in the fog can he escape the Pandoran claws and teeth. And maybe 30 years ago, he finally met his end, but those Pandorans still remain, waiting for an unfortunate uh, throng to pass through. And in Mummy the Curse, uh, Daojin could perhaps be some kind of bizarre child cult. Um, maybe the children themselves were actually uh, self-immolated as part of a ritual to become the lifeless. If the local nuns ever found uh, the truth about this twisted faction, how could they fight against it, and how would their faith be challenged? So guys, what do you think? Any ideas? Ah, uh, I've got it. Okay, so the fog, which is taking people, is the uh, manifestation of one of the true fae. The bodies of the children being left behind are actual, um, are children, the children are actually fetches after the uh, family or hunters perhaps uh, realize what they were and they kill them in the forest um, and using using the uh, dead children as a warning to uh, to both people and to the true fae not to attempt uh, to take more children from the nearby uh, towns so then within the forest itself there could be a verge which leads you into the into the hedge and onto into uh, arcadia um if we want to go a little bit more interesting um this could be um i'm just gonna say that the, i'm gonna go with something weirder the book *De Kinderen van het de Besetzen Boss*, uh, or the, uh, is actually a um, abyssal intrusion, uh, intrusion, and so this book is awaiting a time for it to manifest itself again, and and when it does so, a similar uh, event and uh, scenario will occur, but elsewhere in the world. And every time it's doing this, it's racking up a higher and higher kill count because these are. Uh, the children that it kills become abyssal beings, and it's almost slowly rewriting uh, those areas of reality and these uh, and these children into their abyssal forms. Um, so it's kind of like a take on the Prince of a Thousand Leaves from uh, uh, Boston Unveiled for Mage the, uh, Mage the Awakening. Um, Geist, uh, again, this is a perfect uh, example of something you could have occur in Geist. Uh, uh, there could be an Avernian gate uh, within um, uh, within the forest that is waiting to open, and when it does open, uh, you know the children come out and they're looking for people to take in to balance the death energy of the Avernian gate. Well, what if the uh, the mist itself is the Avernian gate? It's mobile. Yeah, that, that would be, be fucked up. Yeah, yeah, that would be really good. Um, obviously. If we're going to keep uh, on with uh, something that's more recent, um, maybe this is an example of a infrastructure of the god machine that was used, and it worked. And maybe something remains of the cogs of this infrastructure uh, ready to be used again. Maybe it's a location for demons to go to understand the uh, manifestation of the god machine's uh, infrastructures, and so better understand how to defeat it. 
Or maybe this is all a bad experiment of a particular group of hunters. Uh, so what's the one that does a lot of experimentation hunter the vigil? Uh, I can't remember, but you, you get the idea. Yeah. Um, yeah. There you go. Cool. Yo, Chig, what is the big thing in the fog that's staring people down? What do you think? Hit me with it. What is the big thing in the fog? I think it's a gorgon. Ooh, from, yeah, uh, cool. From from Werewolf the Apocalypse. It is a spirit of the wild uh, that is trying to keep uh, people out of its forest. Mm. It uh, the, the children got too close, uh, the gorgon struck, and it absorbed them into itself. Mm. But then what are those small shapes following behind it? Are they spirits or something else? Well, they're spirits, clearly. Spirits of the wild. All right, spirits of the uh, they're wildlings. Mm. Okay, mm. I like it. I'm trying to think. Obviously, the cool thing with when you get forests like this, um, it could all be you could tie all these together with like different forests that have done something weird. So there's like the Devil's Forest that we covered ages ago to do that was in northern Italy somewhere. Um, and you know, there's the Suicide Forest in... Yeah, Aokigahara Forest from Darker Days Radio, episode number 16 where we talked about changing the dreaming. <laughs> yeah. Aha. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, it's it's almost know, like I planned could, this. You could, you could almost um, tie all these together. So obviously these are all... Um, these are all actions by some, as Jacob suggested, you know, some sort of, of uh, forest spirit. You know, it could be some, uh, you know, giant wildling or uh, an idigum type creature for Werewolf the Forsaken. And um, these are all just different examples and manifestations of that creature. Oh, and actually in Werewolf the Forsaken, Predators there is a it's not an idigum it's something else but there is a giant invisible spirit and i think there's another one that actually manifests as a as a fog so there are possibly two big giant spirits that you could use that this fits with quite well uh yeah that, i think that's me tapped out yeah same here Chig, you got anything no i'm good <laughs> awesome. i think chris covered this pretty well Right on. So with that, I think it's time to move over to the new World of Darkness. World of Darkness 2.0. All right, Chris. Dark Ages. Uh, yeah, Requiem for a Dark Age, in fact. Um, so obviously, um, a while back, we had a series of Darklings by uh, Steve and uh, Adrian covering um, Vampire the Dark Ages, which is, of course, uh, for the classic World of Darkness. And currently, you know, there are writers working on a 20th anniversary version of, you know, Vampire the Dark Ages. Um, it's funny, actually, we were doing this because um, I commented on Jeffrey McVeigh's uh, Google Plus post last night about how he was going, surely, you know, watching um, Kindred the Embrace Counts as Research for what I'm writing. I was like, well, which book certainly goes, you know, Dark Ages 20th anniversary. And I was like, oh, right, we're doing that kind of something related to that this weekend. And he goes, link me to that when it's done. And I was like, well, what may be useful for you is, and I linked him to those Darklings. And so it saves him having to, you know, may help him uh, with some of his writing. He can just listen to that and it condenses a few things. So based upon that, we're going to talk about uh, how you could run Vampire the Requiem 
set in the Dark Ages. So this is also sort of a prelude to the Dark Eras book, which is also in the works for New World of Darkness. Um, so let's go all the way back and talk about, first of all, Vampire the Dark Ages. Uh, Vampire the Dark Ages is set in and around the time of 1197, which falls in the middle of the period uh, uh, which is then detailed in Vampire the Requiem, Ancient Mysteries, Clash of Empires. Uh, that chapter in Vampire the Requiem, uh, that details the era between uh, 1095 to the 1300s. So the whole idea of this segment is that we can draw inspiration from existing World of Darkness books for the classic World of Darkness. So this is wonderful books that range from uh, Constantinople by Night, um, Ashen Cults, uh, Canite Heresy, uh, you know, all those wonderful books for Vampire the Dark Ages, and use those as ways to uh, run a game of Vampire the Requiem set in the Dark Ages, because while they will, they will share innate similarities, because you've got vampires existing in a time of of religious warfare and you know where technology isn't about and so you you're more able to 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 happily uh show what you are and be a lord of the night there are subtle differences between vampire the requiem and vampire the masquerade which means that you can tell quite different stories so the the years between 1095 and 1300 is a period that sh that really details the slow revival of a larger kindred society after the fall of the Camarilla, Camarilla and the fall of Rome. So the main factions within Europe that we have left at that time are the Lancaer Sanctum and the Invictus. The Lancaer Sanctum, of course, is important these times as it is the main covenant that holds the knowledge from Rome and is also the main culprit for the burning of many books. So, you know, the Dark Ages are called the Dark Ages, more to do with the fact that knowledge was lost. And so these vampires are possibly, you know, the culprits for that. It is also a time of, of a, a testing of faith. So the sanctified kindred travel with the Crusades to bring divine wrath upon the Saracens and, and Crusaders. Uh, this follows the tragic loss of the Black Abbey and the Monarchus. Um, so to explain that, the Black Abbey was... Uh, you know, the main uh, abbey and holy church of the Lancaster Sanctum. The Monarchus uh, was uh, one of the first original um, children of, of um, Longinus, and so the keeper of the faith and the one that wrote all about Longinus's uh, uh, history, and those formed the, the, the basis of the creed of the sanctified. Also in this time, when the Black Abbey was lost, um, the Spear of Destiny itself was, uh, was taken away. Um, now around this time, the Lords of Europe are forming the group that would become the Invictus. So the Lords reach out to each other, hoping to reform something like the Camarilla or, and, and harks back to that lost empire. So one of the key events during this time period is the Fourth Crusade. Um, the importance of the Fourth Crusade is is a very big moment within uh, Vampire the Masquerade. And again, in Vampire the Requiem, this is a time of schism between 
the church of men and also leads to a schism within the church of the kindred because you know there's this classic breakdown between the classic western part of the remains of the roman empire and the eastern part and the fourth crusade is emblematic of that the Lancashire Sanctum also were, as a group, they did not rule kindred, but they did take it upon themselves, much like the Pope, to anoint leaders. So these princes often gathered uh, to, uh, to be called the Invictus rather than Senex of the, of the Camarilla. Uh, and of course, many of these lords claimed they had a right to rule from, based upon you know, various rulings and uh, scripture from the past. Okay, what else can we say? Um, during this time period of the Dark Ages, the Lancaster Sanctum, of course, are focused on scripture, and in particular, Theban sorcery. Uh, they are, of course, rooting out heretics of, the, of their faith and heretics within the mortal church, because, of course, the Lancaster Sanctum see themselves as, as the anointed and, and uh, holy monsters of God. They're, they believe their position in God's great work is to make men and vampires you know turn to to the lord and you know do his holy deeds and so of course the lanco sanctum is also rooting out the pagans and heathens of europe and of of the east and so that brings them into direct conflict with many groups which of course will be uh the seeds of what will which in future will form together the collective known as the uh the circle of the crone of course, in France and Italy, there are many domains that have have uh, have their own uh, prince, have their own princes, or see themselves above the princes. And of course, in these areas, like in France, you have groups like the Cathars and the Bogomils, and and also in the northern parts of Spain. And of course, all these these human her uh, holy heresies will also lead to uh, church-based heresies within the Lancaster Sanctum. So. This time period also sees many schisms and formations of different creeds. The Invictus began as lords, and they embrace more, they inform larger broods and armies of ghouls. You have the start of cyclic dynasties within this uh, dark, uh, within the Dark Ages, as you know, elders fell to torpor as their blood became too strong. And of course, the elders gathered in Rome so that an archbishop would bless a new emperor this was the uh, you know the formation of a new camarilla in their view um they these uh, emperors across europe of course led were first led by a seer known as elf gifu my pronunciation i'm sure this is awful and this seer foresaw war across europe and so this gathering of emperors and this seer and you know, the, the highest priests of the Lancaster Sanctum, they anointed a new lord, uh, an emperor of the night, the Nacht Kaiser, who was not selected, but elected. And, you know, he was the, 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 the prince elector amongst all princes of the, uh, of the, you know, this empire of the night. And, so began the Holy Night Empire, or as it was known as the Heiligen Nacht Reich, or of the Invictus of the uh, De Besicht. So you can see how this Night Empire of the Invictus of 
vampires and its relationship with the Lancaster Sanctum mirrors that of the Holy Roman Empire and their relationship with the Holy See of Rome. Um, and this was first proclaimed in 1142. So the proceedings of the meeting are written in the Book of Council, and of course there are different versions of this book. Uh, the Rome Codex says they united to conquer all, the late Codex says they united to defend the kindred, uh, the royal mayor simply says the emperor was not elected. It it does go into more detail of the electors and more detail on the visions of the seer. And this text being written in the 12th century is also an accurate account of the Third Crusade. Because, of course, vampires were there and you know, by their immortal nature, they allow for a very good first-hand experience and uh, writings of certain events. This codex is also very important because it contains not only uh, information about the first elected em emperor, but of the of the the knight, uh, holy knight empire, but also has many prophecies that are detailed, and these are prophecies leading all the way up to and beyond the 21st century. And so this book has gained a lot of interest for kindred through the centuries. Uh, the first. Holy Knight Empire covered Germany, Switzerland, and Italy, but then grew to cover France, Hungary, and Eastern Europe. Uh, the emperor was seen as a mediator between the prince electors and the lesser princes. Uh, and so this, you can see, is the beginnings of the first state, the Invictus, where, while the Lancaster Sanctum became known as the second estate. Uh, the emperor had his imperial court. It had an inner intimate room known as the Oath Chamber. This is an opulent room where oaths were sworn between emperors and other lords. There were nightly bloody feasts, and each city had a notary who would be there to represent their city and their prince to the Nacht Kaiser. Uh, there were also competitions between these officials and between electors who wished to be princes and princes who wished to be electors. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of competition between all this. Um, so that's important to note is that some electors were not princes of their cities. Much of this internal conflict finally came to a head between the guilds. So to explain in the Invictus, there are numerous guilds like the Guild of Speakers, the Guild of Historians, the Guilds of Artists. And so these guilds represent a, t a particular skill. Speakers being quite important because normally these these this guild is populated by like the heralds of cities and by the harpies. And of course, prominent speakers uh, were, were coming from Florence and Pisa, and they were vying for position uh, and for each other's domains. Um, also, the sanctified of this time were suffering their own heresies. So I explained, you know, the mortal church had its own heresies. And the sanctified had the Gorgondite heresy, suggesting that the kindred soul was not in fact damned, and that by properly resisting the beast and following the word of God, they could receive his blessing. Uh, the Deva were often caught up in the misunderstandings of, of Catharism, uh, that was guidance not by fear, but, but by sin. And another heresy stated Christ himself would not save the kindred, and that, and that Longinus was his sire. Also, it is clear that the Western Sanctified and the Nutkaiser turned their attention towards the East and the lands of the Saracen and the riches of Constantinople. Constantinople, of course, had its own church and its own creed, 
and its own vampires and its own bloodlines. Um, its lords, known as the Adamantes Athanatoi, uh, were no- also known as the Unconquered Immortals. Their lord, the Dominus Noctis Imperator, ruled over the Council of Prisci. The Byzantium uh, Sanctified advised these immortals. Uh, the bloodlines form the basis of the administrative groupings, the Thema. One example is the, is the Mystagoi Gangrel, monks who were allowed to feed on the mortal monks of of Constantinople. The Legio uh, Damnata of, Constant, of Constantinople was a military order formed in the 6th century, and so mirrors the um, uh, their... their um, I can't remember what the group is called, but they existed uh, for the Camera during Roman times. Legio Mortis. There we go. Thank you, Mike. Um, and so there was a shifting of loyalty, and uh, they used the uh, Tagma Ton Zenon as mercenaries. Pagans, of course, as I said, were targeted by the Invictus on Lankir, and Lithuania at this time, of course, was the largest pagan city-state. Many of the cults and bloodlines there would go on to form the Circle of the Crone, and they gathered for mutual aid against the church. The Vikings, of course, had their own uh, vampires who were uh, proto-acolytes, and in Constantinople, the Imperator allowed some of these nomads from the north and other barbaric lands to form the Tagma Tonzenon, so that means foreign guard. So, you know, you had these foreign Viking vampires being mercenaries for Constantinople. Um, in Constantinople, uh, you also had um, this group. They, the, these mercenaries, they fed upon non upon the non-Greek population. Uh, the Midnight uh, Crescent was a group of Saracen vampires from the east, and the Al Al Amin was a covenant devoted to governance, but still uh, married to the Islamic faith. Their sultans and caliphs uh, ruled over. Umar, and the Banu Shaitan were a group uh, much like the Sanctified, who sought to find mean, meaning of uh, kindred existence, but in Islam. Uh, so the, uh, the Jinnai were uh, elder vampires who followed the old Persian faith rather than Islam. Uh, there were also two packs of Belar's group in this area. There were the Breath Eaters, that were a group that went committing Amarath, and of course there were packs of Belar's group, uh, brood. Uh, the latter uh, saw the Longinus as a false prophet. Apparently they were gone after the fall of the Nutkaza, but rumour is that the Breath Eaters now survive as seven. Uh, the Immortals saw themselves as the true heirs of the Camarilla, which goes back to the splitting between east and west parts of the, uh, of the Empire. And so the Immortals see themselves as heads of the Church and Empire of the East, uh, and were embraced before the fall of uh, Rome. To them, the Invictus are upstarts and the, fan- uh, and the Sanctified are wayward sheep. And so the Fourth Crusade uh, saw the armies of the Nutkaza and, of course, the, the armies of the mortals taken from Venice and, and directed there by uh, uh, the, uh, the Doge Dandolo um, to attack the gates of Constantinople. So, of course, it's very clear that you could go to the Vampire the Masquerade um, Dark Ages material, in particular Bitter Crusade, and make use of that material. And with a bit of reskinning, and of course with these details in um, Ancient Mysteries, um, you, can, uh, you, can, you can really retell this story with very different details for why this, this all occurred. So, the fall of Constantinople sees the Byzantine kindred scattered, and with them they took 
uh, to the West, their form of government of governance. So obviously, uh, Prisky soon became very common in the uh, in the uh, courts of Western uh, princes. The Thema died off, but in their place arose the guilds. The guilds, of course, fought each other in Italy, and this all finally led to a route where the the two mices of the guilds of uh, Pisa and Florence were killed off, and this eventually led that the only route uh, for the emperor uh, of the Nut Kaiser was to abdicate uh, and uh, the electors to renounce their titles. And this was all really to stop the war and to preserve the Invictus. The Sanctified, of course, and uh, kind of incorporated the Byzantine Creed and of course, you also have the Islamic creed, and that remains in modern nights within the Lancaster Sanctum. And of course, some of the Byzantine creed went off into Russia and into the Middle East, taking their creed with them, again rejecting their Western cousins. Uh, of course, Constantinople was a focus of interest for many parties uh, because it was believed the spear of destiny was there. Um, and the blade of the spear was rumoured to be in the Church of St. Sophia, uh, and the pole of the lance also made its way there. And this leads us back to something that Mike and I talked about when we talked about uh, uh, Avernian Gates in the Underworld. And so, uh, again, from the book for New World Darkness in Book of the Dead, there is a legend that under Hagia Sophia, uh, there is an Avernian Gate which would, that the Doge Enrico Dandolo went into to take... Uh, to find you know ancient relics such as the Holy Grail, and so it's possible that the Nut Kaiser and the Fourth Crusade was really a reason so that the vampires of the Lanka Sanctum could recover the Spear of Destiny. The main uh, bloodline of vampires behind this could have been the Ossites. So yeah, this is it's there's a lot within Vampire the Requiem to really play through the events of the Dark Ages and to really tell, whilst on the surface quite similar story to that which is within Vampire the Masquerade, but has quite a lot of subtle differences. Um, some of the other things that stand out uh, within this setting, because of course, you know, there's a few few things we may have not mentioned. We've not said anything about the Ordo Dracul. And we've not really said much about the Circle of the Crone. And so there are many bloodlines within the Dark Ages which survive into modern nights, which obviously then exist within modern covenants. For example, the Mystagoi, this uh, group of, uh, of, of uh, vampire gangrel monks, they're a heretical cult that survived the Knights of Constantinople and you know, survive within the Ordo, uh, the Ordo Dracul. There are bloodlines seeking transcendence, not just from their curse, but to be one with God. And so they they see power then within the coils which were developed by um, Dracula. Uh, so they're essentially a Gnostic heresy uh, with similar views as the Paulicians. Uh, they found their home with the Byzantine kindred and part of the Tagma Tonzenon, which was a military group. Uh, so they're primar prim primarily a, a, a group of mystics and scholars and were uh, rivals to the Agonocytes bloodline, which would continue for centuries. There's the Order of St. Oh, Martin, uh, Nosferatu, Knightly Order of Invictus. Uh, 
They support the laws, but are also reviled, leading them to act as a form of secret police. Uh, formed around the 11th century, created by Martin of Jerusalem. They, they generally, their, 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 uh, their curse uh, appear, makes them appear like lepers. Um, he, st- uh, Martin of Jerusalem uh, studied the blighted and ill uh, knights and monks, uh, learning from them and even embracing the number of them. Uh, they're a group of repulsive wanderers, traders of boons, and acting as a, di- as a dark version of the Knights Templar. And they officially joined the Invictus in 1317. The uh, uh, sorry, Agonistes sorry, uh, are a Mechet sco- uh, scholar bloodline. Many of those who go on to be within the Order of Dracul in the early nights, uh, uh, they would have been part of the Sanctified of the Eastern Creed of Constantinople. Their goal is obviously documentation, unearthing of lost knowledge, and they seek to fight the fog of eternity, the thing that causes vampires to lose their perfect memory of events. Uh, this also means they have a place within the dynastic houses of the Invictus, helping elders as they come back out of torpor to remember things more properly. Early knights saw the bloodline spread across the Mediterranean and the Near East. Uh, their original library was in Rome, but given the fall of the Camarilla, it was moved to Constantinople. So it's no surprise that artifacts like the Spear of Destiny was brought there. Uh, the power of the bloodline was broken with the sacking of Constantinople, and their library was destroyed, along with the Master Archivist. Uh, this also led to the, to the bloodline becoming distrusted in the East, and the lack of connections there uh, became known as the silencing of the Middle East. So, of course, the uh, destruction of the library uh, redirected the agonist agenda to the archival uh, from archival to education because they see no point in holding on to knowledge if it's just going to be lost the Zimanu are a, are a Mechet bloodline of priests that will go on to join the Ordo Dracul as well and existed when Vlad, uh, Vlad you know, Dracula was mortal apparently they uh, favoured by the legendary vampire, they even administered to him in his mortal years based on the Eastern Orthodox Christianity they existed in parallel to those in Constantinople they made a honing Carpathia and they served, they served kindred just as priests would serve men they would provide safe havens, counsel and the word of God, they would work to save the souls, souls of others they were hidden they have hidden monasteries in Carpathia and under Prague. The Western Lancair see them as backwards rather than heretical. Uh, and the Samano do not follow the creed based upon the teachings of Longinus. There are the Vedmar, Gangrel Slavic witch, uh, witches coming from the mountain of the Dacians and, of course, are linked with the legendary Baba Yaga. Uh, ancient keepers of the spo- of spoiling, which is, of course, the Autodracal um, ability of alchemy, a form of blood magic. We also then have the Ossites, who are another Mechet bloodline. They are ancient ke- uh, keepers of the catacombs of Rome, necromancers and apparently born of the monarchus himself. They disposed of the dead of, sa- uh, of the sanctified rituals and so became familiar with ghosts and within the Black Abbey. They seek to understand death, and so it would become no surprise that they would make their way to Constantinople, because, of course, there is a certain Avernian gate there. So it would be no surprise that this group of Mechet would also make use of the uh, bloodline uh, power within the 
New Order Darkness Book of the Dead, which is a bloodline power that would allow vampires to interact with the dead and open up gateways to the dead. Then we have the Al the Al Al Jabal, who are mortal hunters that survived into modern nights. They are the people of the mountain. This group is descended from the Hashin, the assassins. Uh, they are part holy order, part revolu- uh, revolutionary group, part secret society. They operate out of Alamut and were part of the heresy of the Nazir Ismaili. Um, they struck at officials of Islam and Christian kingdoms. Uh, the group suffered their own histories. The Sanain, the Syrian leader of the order, and Hassan II, the leader of the Alamut order, clashed over the, re- over the ritual trappings of their order. But the reality was that the Sanan had learned that vampires had infor- infiltrated their order. The Sanan and the uh, Saladin, the Sultan, uh, joined together to root out the monsters, creating a, a secret group for this task. The assassins survived the Mongols and continued their war against all manner of creatures, following the Nazir Ismaili doctrines. Uh, their faith is removed from the ritual and tra- uh, removed from ritual and trappings of religions, and is more focused on f- philosophy, mysticism, Gnosticism, astrology, etc. They are devoted to the killing of supernatural creatures who they see as the children of Satan. So, of course, this then is a group that fits in very well as uh, a group born uh, during the Dark Ages and can be used uh, as a group for um, Hunt of the Vigil. So, uh, there you go, a very quick overview of, um, of how you could use various different groups of vampires and uh, mortal groups and religious creeds and covenants uh, for within uh, the New World of Darkness and Vampire the Requiem to tell stories within the Dark Ages. Mike. <laughs> What's up? Yeah, uh, definitely. And I have a couple ideas that I jotted down uh, just to kind of uh, add to this. Uh, obviously, this isn't research from ancient mysteries and, and all that. It's just kind of more uh, original ideas they could go, kind of take and run with. Uh, looking at uh, an area that you didn't mention with the... Uh, the Kaisernacht and the uh, kind of night society that formed in Central Europe. Looking at England, uh, one mystery that's uh, always been uh, discussed by scholars is uh, the the Lost Roman Legion, for example. Mm. And one idea that you could take and use in a Dark Ages game, uh, perhaps, is a uh, Lost Roman Legion up in Scotland that may have gone native and joined the Picts. Now, of course, this would have happened in uh, 300 CE, but now we're up in the, the 1200s. Of course, with vampires, it's quite possible that uh, some of the traditions of the uh, Legio Mortum would have kept going from the days of uh, of Rome and uh, of the kindred Camarilla. So you can have perhaps this army forming up there, which wants to recreate Rome uh, in its mm. own image by vampires that definitely remember it uh, and and use that as a uh, impetus for conflict in in England. Cool. Another idea might be to uh, kind of look at uh, what might be going on in Russia and the uh, Kievan Rus states, because these states would have had zero contact with uh, with Rome itself and really wouldn't have any of the uh, Camarilla uh, trappings that you might see uh, in other regions of Europe. But they do have some relations with uh, Constantinople, 
and uh, the the uh, Eastern Roman Empire. Mm. Um, so it definitely uh, you could play around with some ideas. For example, some of the bloodlines you mentioned uh, are experimenting a lot with blood magic up there, uh, and uh, what the Order Dracula are doing, or will eventually do. So that could be one uh, defining element of of their society. But you also have to remember that uh, around this time they're in conflict with the uh, the Golden Horde and the Mongols. Uh, and you have Alexander Nevsky doing his, his battles up there. So you yeah. have a, uh, a big uh, meshing of all these different cultures um, with very, very, say, primal covenants um, and, and the like coming from, from the Mongols and the Golden Horde. But then also having a little bit of the, uh, the maybe perhaps the Prisci uh, political structure and... Uh, as well as some of the uh, more spiritual folklore aspects of the bloodlines all kind of uh, combined together into one mixing pot right there, which could provide a lot of really interesting uh, gameplay features for both politics and uh, occult mystery. Uh, and it'll be pretty unique compared to, say, what you find in Vampire the Dark Ages or in uh, the modern knights of Vampire the Requiem. Yeah, you know, with, with respect to the Mongol thing, I'm just trying to think... Um... Because obviously that was a book that was released towards the end of uh, Dark Ages line originally. So again, that yeah. puts that into good use. I'm also trying to think, off the top of my head, I can't really think of them. And maybe I didn't even go through that. But I'm sure in Dance Macabre, there is a there could be some inspiration of, of how the other covenants which exist in the modern night may have their roots within the heresies and uh, schisms of the Dark Ages. And I think that's the one, the the interesting, I think the most interesting thing about this is because, whereas in Vampire the Masquerade, you, you have the Dark Ages as a very um, tumultuous time, and there's, very, there's quite a lot of different factions which have similarities, but they're different flavors of that. And eventually it all finally boils down to you know, Anarchs, Camerilla, and the Sabat, really. And then you've got the, the small variations within there. Whereas you have, with this, I feel you've got, like, such a, a variety which tries to form some some sort of blocks, so the Lancaster Sanctum and the Night Empire. But then also you can see the germs of other covenants growing, so, you know, obviously you see in Lithuania you can have certain elders who may survive into modern knights who are seen as some of the most preeminent uh, members of the Circle of the Crone for particular cults of the Crone. And the same with the Ordo Draco. You can see certain groups that would survive and eventually join the Ordo Draco because obviously they, you know, they, they discard the mysticism of the Lancaire Sanctum. Um, so it'd be interesting with the Mongol thing you were saying to think about. There's the potential there. To, you could introduce uh, what 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 vampire covenants would there be that came with the Golden Horde? And I don't know whether Requiem's really touched on what covenants would have existed hmm. in that part of the world. But I'm sure you could go to you could go to something such as uh, Kindred uh, Kindred of the East to at least again give you the sort of inspirational uh, material you need to flesh out, well, that's what that group of vampires would have been that came from the East. And they could be, they could be broken down into a number of bloodlines like 
they're the more mystical uh, group that believes in the celestial hierarchy, and those are the more kind of uh, yeah the more military part uh, related to the more military part of the Mongol horde and so forth, and it just seems like you could just literally paint this period with such a uh, a, a plethora of different um, proto-covenants and bloodlines which in the modern nights exist really as a version of you know, be it a version of the Lancaire Sanctum or a version of the Invictus or a version of the Circle of Crown or the version of something else of any of those covenants which, which, which within a particular city still retains those elements from a historical period Indeed, indeed. You know, I think we could brainstorm some uh, covenants for the Golden Horde just right now. Here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking three things. We've got, uh, just just looking at their, because there was such a uh, military-based culture at that time, or, or mm-hmm. uh, raiding and conflict culture. Um, you have, you have the horse, you have the bow, and then you have the open step. So you have a uh, a covenant which is uh, very animal based actually, and uh, dealing with that whether it be animalism or uh, ghouling animals isn't too big in in requiem, but uh, that could be. Oh, I wouldn't idea. say that. I mean, that fits with the ventry. They indeed ghoul animals. For the bow, that might be the uh, the more bloodthirsty conflict based. Uh, as I remember, I'm trying to think back to uh, some episodes of Hardcore History, uh, <laughs> the podcast, because they just talked about this for like at least four hours or something. Um, the, uh, the, uh, the, the Mongols and the Tatars and their, their related groups were pretty, pretty bloodthirsty. So, uh, you could have a very, um, uh, a covenant with a very strict code of battle, uh, dealing, dealing with that. Um, and that'll be the, the bow aspect and the step aspect that might be a, uh, more cultured kind of, uh, earthen covenant, uh, dealing with, Let's go with with uh, organizing the kind and keeping uh, mm. keeping them maybe not sated but uh, uh, in check because uh, that would be very important with such a nomadic culture and the number of uh, slaves that they're taking uh, to uh, have have kindred focused on um, watching out for all that especially when you have for example uh, some of the Khanates were just uh, killing people massively after some of these battles. Um, which would severely reduce the uh, amount of prey that the vampires have. So watching out for that would be pretty important. So I don't know. What do you guys think? That sounds pretty good. I mean, you can also see some of these groups like that last one being uh, populated possibly by vampires of the Burakamen, who are a Nosferatu bloodline that's in the original Vampire the Requiem Corpus, mm-hmm. who are like the unclean vampires because they're from a caste-based system. Um so, I mean, the one thing that I can't think of from the top of my head to fit with the Mongol thing is, I wonder, I can't remember in Requiem, in all the books, how many Eastern uh, bloodlines there are, what's been merely mentioned and what has been detailed. Um, oh, there's the, uh, oh, what the, f- the hell are they called? What's the Indian term for demons? Rakshasa. There we go, yeah, that's a bloodline of vampires. Oh, okay. Um, in Requiem, so you could use that. Uh, yeah, and you know, the one thing I liked also when reading through this is the fact that you know there's a, you know there's a, you know there's potential you know for different uh, 
uh, the entire covenant based on you know Persian you know classic Persian uh, beliefs. So you know this goes back to stuff like um, uh, like Zoroastrianism uh, and so forth, which is in you know Iraq uh, at that time, um, rather than just pure Islam. So again, you can inject, and that also is really interesting because that then links into um, uh, which which um, covenant? It's the Mithraism, which turns up in the Vampire the Requiem book mythologies, in which I gave a stab in Forgotten Law one or two. Um, I rewrote their rules up using the new the newer um, blood magic blood rules. Magic, yeah. yeah. So, you know, the, the, you could have the root of where that Mithraic, some more, you could see where some of that Mithraic cult comes from, um, and or may still exist even during the Dark Ages, uh, because they're completely the opposite. They love tearing apart the Lancaster Sanctum. So they could have been in Constantinople fighting against the western part of the Lancaster Sanctum because they were a, a worse enemy than even the eastern part. Um, Hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I think you know within the New World of Darkness and like the whole thing right at the end with you know there's a group of hunters and everything. There's so much here that you could you could do like you could it, that literally is already saying play Hunter the Vigil in the Dark Ages. Totally, man. Totally. <laughs> with a bit of Assassin's Creed thrown in. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I think there's a lot to do there, and I don't think you can just pass it off as why don't you just play vampire the dark ages because i think there's enough differences to make it a uh interesting enough setting and possibly quite refreshing for people that have played vampire the dark ages but want to play in that time period again but with but where they have less inherent familiarity with the setting and the mystery is re-injected into playing a vampire game during that time period right well i think the uh the political structure that you mentioned is pretty interesting uh, and it's definitely different than both Vampire the Dark Ages and Vampire the Masquerade, in that uh, in Vampire the Dark Ages you have a you have these individual cities with a prince, and they're mm. all pretty much isolated. And then in Vampire the Masquerade you have these individual cities with a prince, and then there's also the upper Camarilla higher hierarchy, which you can't really affect and really typically will not interact with. But uh, with these different uh, envoys that you have uh, going to the uh, central central government i'll have to look up the term that you used um not the princes but the uh, the electors correct yeah yes that's right um with these different electors who may not even be the prince of the city but then may be representing you have an instant conflict between va- two high-ranking vampires in that city um and how they will interact with the uh greater government and how the uh lesser vampires in the city will have to uh choose sides politically Oh, and then you have the guilds as well, because that works into all of that. And it just really messes up the entire political system. One thing I'll say, and I think, uh, Chig, you may be able to uh, confirm or deny or possibly agree with this, is that, uh, you know, Chris, you kind of mentioned that um, when when you look at Vampire the Dark Ages, as it was originally released, Mm -hmm. it really just comes down to, you know, you kind of have like a Camarilla, you know, political structure with the prince. And then you have the more anarch-type vampires and then the more religious, heretical vampires who could, in some ways, represent the Sabbat. And it's not too um, 
too different than the the modern version. And I think one of the unfortunate things with Vampire the Dark Ages, which may need to be fixed with the uh, newer 20th anniversary that's coming out, is that they introduced these really cool uh, little factions like the Prometheans. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. the uh, Order of Bitter Ashes and the uh, Furies. But they're so small and minor. I mean, they write them up, but they don't, they hardly use them again in other source books. And I think that was a real loss for the uh, setting overall. Because those all turn up in, what, Ashen Cults and Canite Heresy, don't they? Uh, they're in the rightly. core book, and they are mentioned uh. occasionally, but they're very minor factions. I think they should have been integrated a lot more, uh, maybe even to the level of Covenants, uh, Vampire the Requiem, to kind of uh, enhance the political nature and the philosophical debates of vampires at that time. Well, mm. Sure, but they have to they have to write them off before the modern knights. That's, they have to get rid of that before you get to the modern setting. Well, you could have them destroyed in the Anarch Revolt in, in some ways, um, you know, right? Exactly, and you can see how, I mean, in the case of, I can't remember the exact, what's the exact belief structure of the Prometheans, or what's their exact, oh, what's their whole um, They um, were, a lot of them wanted to return to, like, the kind of Carthage ideal that they once had. Uh, they're kind of a uh, reformist sect, I would say. You see, it'd be really cool for like some of the elders of those to to have somehow survived into modern knights within the Anarchs to kind of have that ultra far you know, elders seeing really far who are playing the really long game, who foresee a modern knight where they can have that where humanity has modernized and evolved to the point that they can accept vampires. You know, kind of it's almost like the the guys that are expecting everything to go a bit true blood. Mm, yeah, I can kind of see that. That would be actually really interesting. You know, they've been playing the long game. They're the ones that's like who are maybe behind some of the weird scientific who in modern nights maybe they're behind some of the weird scientific research into synthetic blood. And they're they, and and you know have that very or they're the ones that finally gave up on that idea and think you know let's do the final solution and just keep humans as cattle and go for a kind of. Uh, um, Ah, uh, daybreakers kind of scenario. Mm hmm. But yeah, that's kind of different. Indeed. But yeah. I like it. Good stuff. All right. I think that's it for the Dark Ages, isn't it? Oh, yeah. All right. Good. So, any any closing remarks? Anything else we want to say about this episode, World of Darkness, other things? I don't think so. Um, anything, we're, anything we've got planned for the next show? Any ideas? Or people should send us some ideas, of course. We we do have some ideas stored up, but I think I think what I really gotta do is finally do that Promethean the created rapid fire. I've been promising oh, yeah. it for two and a half years. Maybe I should finally get around to it. And I need to read Guild Halls and finish reading Strix Chronicles. Um Yes. That's pretty cool. Pretty should be good. Yo, Chig, what do you wanna do next episode? What are you thinking? Oh, I don't know. It's a month away. I don't even know what I'm going to do tomorrow. I don't know. Maybe like, maybe like three <laughs> weeks away. All right, we'll think about it. Are we Are we good with Changeling, or do you have more to talk about? I can always talk more about Changeling. All right, we'll <laughs> see about that. It might be good to mix it up. Maybe maybe we'll do that in a couple episodes. Sure. Cool. All right. I like how we just plan our next episode on the show now. <laughs> Which makes things easier. The I'm sure someone might suggest something or something will pop up that'll inspire something or I actually get around to reading a particular book. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that's about it. 
All right, good stuff. So this has been Darker Days Radio. You can check us out at darker-days.org. That's our website. On Facebook, we're facebook.com slash darkerdaysradio. On Google+, Plus, we are the Darker Days Radio community. Just give it a search and find it. Uh, on Google+, Plus, we, of course, have games going on. Aaron has his... Uh, uh, Wraith game coming up. I need to set up an event for the uh, next Tremere Chronicles, which is actually going to happen. <laughs> couple weeks away. Couple weeks away. Sweet. And uh, I also have to make an actual play for that to uh, get everyone up to speed so they actually remember what the heck happened like three months ago in this game. <laughs> uh, and additionally, we have our Twitter account, Dark Days Radio, and then we're on Tumblr. Yeah, there's um, Tumblr's pretty good because obviously, um, because of its nature of it, uh, recently they've had a lot of the artwork by Samuel Aria, so for Guildhalls of the Deathless, so you can check out that stuff there, um, and you'll see a lot of my pictures of stuff I've painted recently. Uh, and of course we're on YouTube, so every show is being dumped onto uh, YouTube as well, so you, know, you can listen to us there if you prefer that. Um, and yeah Forgotten Law 5 is in the works it's just you know editing takes some time so it will get done don't worry we have some stuff there and Mike you said you're writing something for it yeah I wrote like a page and a half I need to need to get back to that so um, it'll be in 5 or possibly 6 yeah yeah um, so I think that pretty much is it yes it is this has been Darker Days yeah. Radio and you should all have a good night. See ya. Uh, Chris? Uh-oh. Oh, shit. We lost Chris. No. Is it going to be one of those kinds of episodes? His mic cut out. He's still he's still on the call. He's still typing. He's typing something. He can hear us. Let's talk bad about him if he can hear us. I mean, come on. Yeah, look at that guy. You know, being all British, drinking his, his tea. Face. Yeah. <sighs> Actually, I kind of like tea. Gross. Hello?